I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Uh, We'll begin reading here in just a moment in verse 11. In a message entitled, Give Glory to God. We all know people who have a sense of entitlement. Entitlement is basically an attitude of thinking that you deserve something or owed something in particular. We live in a society of entitlement. And if we're not careful, we might run the risk of constantly having unmet expectations, dissatisfaction with our circumstances, dissatisfaction with the people around us, and take for granted even the most basic things of life. A sense of entitlement causes us not to be grateful for the basic things of life, but it also causes us to think that we deserve even the luxuries that many people have come to expect. We think if we don't have these things that we can't flourish as human beings. We think we need the latest technology or maybe the lavish vacations or the storybook relationships that we see on social media and so on. The question is, how can we overcome the challenge of living in the midst of this entitlement and live in a way that honors and glorifies God? The answer is by learning to live with genuine gratitude toward God, who is the source of all good blessings. Now, I think the passage before us today in Luke 17 is both a story of something that took place as well as serving as a parable of a greater spiritual point that Jesus makes for us. Jesus and his disciples were on the move. If you're looking for a transition point in the Gospel of Luke, when you arrive at chapter 9 and verse 51, the focus of the ministry of Jesus begins to move intentionally from the region of the Galilee steadily toward Jerusalem. As Jesus had his face firmly fixed toward Jerusalem, he knew what was ahead of him. He knew the price that he was going to pay for our sins. He knew the suffering that he was going to endure on our behalf, and yet he willingly went. Jesus is traveling along the border area at the southern extreme in this story of the uh, Galilee region and at the northern end of where the Samaritans lived. Uh, He was going along and ministering to people and healing people as he did on this occasion, and he encounters a band of lepers. Beginning reading in verse 11, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, then Jesus said, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, 
get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. The brief summary of this story is that Jesus came to a village as he's making his way from the region of the Galilee. These 10 lepers uh, see that Jesus is nearby. They cry out to him and he points them to something that is going to be miraculous in their lives in the healing. Now you might remember that this is the second time in Luke that we have encountered Lepers being healed, with the first being back in Luke chapter 5. Jesus instructed the men in this account to show themselves to the priests, and on their way they were cleansed, and they were made ceremonially clean. But as the story goes, only one, a Samaritan, came back to thank Jesus. He's the one who understood the significance of what was done on his behalf, And he returned to Jesus with an attitude of worship, evidently understanding who Jesus was. Let's dig just a little bit deeper into a passage of Scripture that is familiar to many of us so that we can better understand what it means and also how it applies to our lives as we give glory to God. First, if you want to give glory to God, you need to recognize your need for mercy from God. You need to recognize your need for mercy from God. Jesus, on his way to his appointed destiny, encounters these 10 men with leprosy. Uh, Keeping with the law, they kept their distance, but they recognized Jesus and they cried out to him. Leprosy is a dreaded disease that serves for us as a picture of sin. Leprosy in the Bible could refer to a number of different skin diseases, but the worst of it was what we would refer to as Hansen's disease. Thankfully, significant progress has been made in combating leprosy in the modern age. Leprosy is typically curable with a combination of Uh, strong drugs that are administered over a period of time as much as a year. And in a recent year, there were only 200,000 cases of leprosy globally, whereas in the 1980s, there were as many as 5 million. So you can see that significant progress has been made with modern medicine. But in Bible times, leprosy was a terrible disease and not much hope was offered. William Barclay in his commentary described leprosy and what it does to the physical body. And here's what he said. He said it might begin with little nodules which go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated. And the voice becomes hoarse as the breath wheezes. The hands and feet always ulcerate. Slowly, the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. And then he writes, leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some parts of the body because the nerve trunks are affected, the muscles waste away, the tendons contract until the hands are like claws. It is a terrible progressive death in which a person dies by inches. And it can last from anywhere from 10 to 30 years in the Bible times without 
the treatments that we have today. Now, as bad as the physical consequences were of having leprosy, uh, the social consequences in ancient Israel made it that much worse. The Mosaic law required that the person be cut off from society and even be cut off from their own family. So they would be in these colonies of lepers, ceremonially defiled, having to wear torn clothing uh, with their head uncovered. And if anybody got within a certain distance of them, they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, because they wanted to warn the people who were approaching And even if they were healed, if it was one of the lesser conditions that I referred to, uh, they would still have to go to the priest and go through a ritual of cleansing before they could be accepted back among the people. So here were these 10 men that Jesus came upon who had banded together. They were outcasts, separated from their own people, separated from worship, essentially under a curse. And I can assure you that they were a sad sight. And verse 13 says that they cried out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I believe in that moment, the lepers were simply communicating the desperate situation that they already knew that they were in. They were sick and they were separated. And the spiritual parallel for us is sin because sin puts us in a position where we are sick and we are separated from God. And in order to ask God for mercy, we have to come to a place in our lives where we recognize our need for mercy. We see ourselves as spiritual lepers. And one of the highest barriers between God and people is when people think they're not in need of mercy. They think generally we're pretty good people. Well, pretty good people who are depending on their own righteousness rather than on the mercy of God, apart from Jesus Christ, will spend eternity in hell. Your goodness will not reconcile you to God. Now, you'll note here that the lepers knew Jesus by name. They referred to Jesus as master. They acknowledged the authority of Jesus. And in doing so, they cried out to him for the mercy that they needed. Now, you know the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is when we get what we do not deserve. Mercy is when we do not get what we deserve. Think about mercy in this way. It's a synonym, more or less, of pity and compassion. I like the way Millard Erickson in his Christian theology put it. He said, God's mercy is tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of heart toward the needy. If grace contemplates humans as sinful, guilty, and condemned, mercy sees them as miserable and needy. I believe when the lepers cried out for mercy, they were acknowledging that they did not deserve healing. There was nothing in them that would have merited healing. There was no way that they could leverage Jesus so that he had to heal them. They simply were asking for mercy. And the good news is that God loves to show mercy to all who recognize their need for it. God delights in showing mercy toward us when we cry out to him for it. 
I'm reminded of Moses when he asked to see the glory of God in the scripture and the Lord passed by in front of him. And Exodus 34 and verse 6 and 7 says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. This is the God that we cry out to. The God who loves us and cares about us. The God who sees us in our desperate condition. The God who desires to show us mercy. And when we cry out to him, what we're doing is we're recognizing our need. And God receives that on our behalf. Much like David, the psalmist uh, proclaimed in Psalm 51 in verse 1 in his prayer to God, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love and according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Now, don't miss this. Mercy delivers from judgment. Refusing mercy leads to judgment. If that's true, that mercy delivers from judgment and refusing mercy leads to judgment, then how could it be that we receive mercy without judgment? Well, we don't. We receive mercy because judgment has been laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he took the weight of our sin. He took the penalty that we deserved. He died the death that should have been ours. And in doing so, he died in our place. And because God laid the judgment for sin upon his only son, then he extends mercy to us when we cry out to God for it. And our God actively shows mercy to those who ask for it. Have you asked for God's mercy? If you've asked for God's mercy and received it, are you living as a person who shows mercy to others? Don't put yourself in a situation where you've received great mercy from God and then in turn you show no mercy to other people. Because the fact that we have received mercy and then we in turn extend it to other people is evidence of the fact that we've understood actually what God has done on our behalf. And when we extend mercy, it's a sign that the fruit of our salvation is mercy toward others and we've understood what God has done for us. If you want to give glory to God, recognize your need for mercy from God. Second, if you want to give glory to God, you need to receive healing from God. Verse 14, Jesus told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Now, if you just read this, you you might miss the actual nuance of what Jesus is expressing here. Because what he does, interestingly, is he commands them to do what a cured leper would do to follow the regulation stipulated in Leviticus chapter 14, requiring examination by a priest. If they were cured, they would undergo a ceremony and then be reunited with their families. So Jesus is speaking here of something that was certain. He was going to bring it about on their behalf. Now, back in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus healed the leper, He first healed him and then told him to go and show himself to the priest. 
But in the situation of the ten lepers, it's similar to that of Naaman the Syrian, who Elisha told to go and bathe in the Jordan River in 2 Kings chapter 5. Here's what was taking place. Don't miss this. They were given a test of faith without any evidence of healing in the moment. We are not told how they received the message. But I like to think there might have been some discussion among those lepers. They're seeing how pitiful shape uh, they really were in. And Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priests. And, and they've not even be, been healed yet. And maybe they're talking among themselves and saying, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're still sick. Nothing has changed. What, what are we supposed to do? Maybe they're discussing it among themselves. I don't know. But whatever took place among them, they went as Jesus told them to go. And in doing so, they were stepping out in obedience to what he said to do. And it says, while they were going. We might translate that also as, as they were going, they were cleansed. By the power of Jesus, they were restored to health in an instant. And the devastating effects of the disease went away in that moment. Friends, I'm thankful that by the mercy of God, we can receive healing for our brokenness. We live in a broken world, a sin-fallen world, a hurting world, a world that has experienced much difficulty and hardship and in which we experience the same. But yet God is faithful and he helps us through even our darkest hours. In light of Memorial Day, I was reading a story about a program at Walter Reed Medical Center that was started a few years back. Uh, The goal of this program that was started was to help wounded warriors recover from incredible losses that they've experienced in war. And battlefield medicine has made tremendous strides in recent decades, but part of the result of that battlefield medicine making such advances is that people that are being saved are increasingly injured and their problems are more profound. Some of the soldiers that are referenced in the article that I read actually found healing through a community that is based on music. A band of soldiers performed at the Madison Square Garden in a concert called Stand Up for Heroes. And the vocalist for the band was Marine Corporal Tim Donnelly, who lost both of his legs and the use of his right arm in a roadside bomb in Afghanistan. Even so, he said he's grateful to be a part of a group where his singing voice is valued. More recently, he became a part of Music Corps, which helps wounded warriors play music and recover their lives. Part of his recovery uh, pointed to a song by Leonard Cohen, a song entitled Hallelujah. The lyrics of the song are hauntingly honest. It's not a cry you can hear at night. It's not somebody who has seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Donnelly told a reporter, he said, I thought I understood that song, but the next thing you know, my whole life is coming down around my ears. Every dream, every hope I've ever had for the future is broken around me. I don't know where to turn. And it was in that place that God said, do you still trust me? Do you still believe that I have what's best for you? And he said, it was in that moment that I understood, hallelujah. And he said, I may be more whole now than I've ever been in my life. And in that place of belonging, Donnelly and his friends are discovering wholeness in spite of physical 
brokenness. Now, in our account here in Luke chapter 17, the lepers were all healed physically. But I think what's inferred in the fact that only one of them returned to give thanks is that he was the only one who was healed both physically and spiritually. And you understand that we can receive healing in this life physically. We can receive blessing in this life physically. But if we don't also receive the spiritual healing that we need, we're going to come up short eternally. And the message here is that this leper was healed both physically and spiritually. And the cleansing of the lepers physically illustrates what God does in the soul of every individual who calls on him for salvation. He brings us an eternal healing. The lepers were not able to clean themselves up and make themselves presentable. They were told to go as they were, and they obeyed. And friends, I'm thankful that God does not say to us, hey, you've got to clean yourself up and then come to me. Because if the requirement was that we had to clean ourselves up and somehow make ourselves presentable to God so that we can come to him, none of us ever would because we cannot on our own. But it's what God does for us, that that God meets us in our brokenness. God meets us in our undoneness. God meets us in our inability. God meets us in our sin. And when we cry out to him for mercy, it's God who brings us a healing that only he can bring. And when we're lost in our sin, we're not told to clean ourselves up and make ourselves presentable. We're told simply to believe. To believe. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. So don't miss the connection. A request for mercy led to a spiritual and a physical healing. And what God does for us is when we call out to him for mercy, he restores us, heals us, and puts us in right standing with him. If you want to give glory to God, you have to receive healing from God. And then third, if you want to give glory to God, you need to return gratitude to God. Verse 15 says, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. Verse 16, he fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And then we have what at first glance seems like a footnote, and he was a Samaritan. But it turns out it's not a footnote at all. It's actually front and center to this entire story. Because only one of the lepers expressed gratitude to Jesus for the healing. The leper who returned represents the fruit of saving faith. His heart represents a heart that is grateful to God. After all, all of them had received the temporal blessing of healed bodies, but there was only one who understood the depths of spiritual healing. And now here he is before Jesus, whole, healthy, clean, and no longer an outcast. And what does he do? He gives glory to God. Two times it's mentioned that he gave glory in verse 15 and also in verse 18. Now it's a little bit hard to describe in in human words what it means to give glory to God. We, We know it when we experience it and we know what's on our heart when we desire to express it, but it's a little bit harder to describe. And I would say basically that it is 
proclaiming both the attributes and the actions of God. So I would say that to give glory to God is to point to both his attributes and his actions. So what that means is that we first thank God for who he is, that he's holy and he's good and he's loving and he's merciful and he cares for us and he meets us where we are because of he, these things that are his attributes. And then his actions are that he extends this mercy and this grace to us. So to glorify God is to exalt him and to let others know just how great he is. As the Puritans stated, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever on account of his blessings of salvation toward those of us who deserve judgment. Now, note how he gave glory to God. It wasn't in a whisper. It was with a loud voice. Why was it with a loud voice? Because he wasn't ashamed. As the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This leper was not ashamed of the fact of what God had done for him. He recognized it and he wanted to express his gratitude to God with a loud voice. He wanted to return that gratitude to God because he understood what had been done for him. And in doing so, he fell face down at the feet of Jesus. Another part of this story we must not miss. Just a few Hours ago or days ago in the story, whatever the time frame was, these lepers had to stand far off. But now he's at the very feet of Jesus. Is that not what happens to us spiritually when we come to faith? That our sin has separated us from God. We, we are far from God. We are distant from God. We are on our way to an eternal separation from God. And then by his mercy, not only does he welcome us in, but he says, you can come close into my presence with boldness and confidence and assurance. And here he is at the feet of Jesus. He's thanking Jesus. And you know what takes place here? Jesus is pleased with his expression of gratitude. Friends, I want you to know that God is pleased when he sees a grateful people, when he sees a grateful disciple that's just thankful for what God has done. That should describe us on the day-to-day Hebrews 13 and verse 15 and 16 says, Therefore through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that confess his name, and don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Now back to this footnote that I referenced and then didn't uh, trace down for us. I want to do that now. The man who gave thanks was the unlikely one. He was the Samaritan. You know, if you know anything about your biblical background, that good Jews avoided Samaria if possible. This went back hundreds of years to the Assyrian captivity, which began in 722 B.C. Some of the Jews had actually intermarried with the Assyrians and had become, in the eyes of the Jews, traitors. Over the centuries, the Samaritans had become um, mixed in so that the religious expression was not what it was intended to be. The Jews hated the Samaritans and, and the Samaritans responded in kind. And here's this man to make matters worse. He's a Samaritan leper. Like what worse combination could you possibly have in the eyes of the Jews? He had the wrong religion. He had the worst possible disease. 
And they wouldn't have thought much of him. But yet here he is. He's the only one who gave gratitude to Jesus. Now this text does not say directly. But I'm going to take this one step further because I think what is implied here is that the other nine were Jews. Now why would that be significant if that is in fact the case? Or if in fact if only part of them were were Jews, why would that be significant? Because they were the ones who should have been the most grateful. They were the ones who should have recognized what had just taken place. After all, the Jews had been chosen as a special people. Abraham had been called out and God told him he was going to make of him uh, the father of a great nation. And through that great nation, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. The reason they were going to be blessed was because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come through them. They had the law. They had the tabernacle. Then they had the temple, the prophets. I mean, they had everything. And, and they should have known now that this was confirmation that the Messiah himself was in their midst. That they had just cried out to the Messiah for mercy and he had delivered. And yet they didn't come back. Only the one who was unlikely is the one who came back. And then Jesus said, verse 17, were not 10 cleansed? Yes, they were. Where are the nine? Gone. Nowhere to be found. Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? None at all. They got what they wanted and they left. The danger is that although God has done so much for us, we can have little sense of the gratitude that we should have toward God for his blessings. We can get whatever it is that we wanted and then be nowhere to be found. Ingratitude is leprosy of the heart. Gratitude flows from a healed heart. As we think about Memorial Day, observed on the last Monday of May tomorrow, we'll honor the men and the women who have died serving our country. But we'll also be reminded of the physical freedoms that we have that are easy to take for granted. Did you know that today 1.53 billion people live in communist countries? Did you know that there are 50 nations on the face of the planet that live under dictatorships as we speak? Did you know that there are countless numbers of Christians that are also persecuted because of religious persecution and other societal versions of persecution simply because they call on the name of Christ? And here we are, so easy to take the physical freedom that we have for granted. How are we using it? Are we leveraging it for the sake of the gospel? Are we using the physical freedom that we have and not taking for granted the spiritual freedom that we have? Are we recognizing that we've truly been set free in Christ? Are we living in that kind of a way? Are we asking God to help us to use the freedom that we've been given? Or do we have a sense of entitlement? Like it was owed to us. Apostle Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57, Thanks be to God 
He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 5. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Physical freedom is temporary. Spiritual freedom is eternal. And in Jesus, we have freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from a useless life, and freedom to serve God. Notice what verse 19 says. Jesus' words to this man who returned. Get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. A central lesson of this story is that the faith that healed the lepers was that that acted on Jesus' words. And the one who returned with gratitude expressed the reality of his faith not only in the obedience that led to his healing physically, but his spiritual healing. And I ask you today in closing, will you act on the words of Jesus? Will you listen to the call of the Savior? Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Here in just a moment, I'm going to pray and Pastor Eric's going to come and sing a closing song with us. If you've received the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, would you take a moment to express gratitude and thanksgiving to him for what he's done on your behalf? Would you ask him to help you live in light of the freedom that you've been blessed with so that others also might experience the freedom that is eternal. Maybe today there's somebody under the sound of my voice or maybe will listen to this message later on who, if they're honest, would have to say, I've not cried out to God for mercy. I've not come to Jesus Christ in faith. God stands ready to receive you. The gospel is a gift, but it has to be received by faith. Will you trust him today? Will you come and follow Jesus? God, thank you for the account of the lepers, of the healing power of Jesus. His identity confirmed once again in the scripture. I pray that we would not live as an entitled people but we would live with great humility, recognizing what you've done on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to leave heaven and come to earth to be tempted as we are, yet without sin, to perfectly fulfill the law which we were incapable of doing, and to willingly give your life as a sacrifice on the cross in our place. We thank you that on the third day you were raised from the dead and even now you're seated at the right hand of God the Father making intercession on our behalf. We exalt you and God we give glory to your name. May our lives be a reflection that we are 
continually learning more about your attributes and your actions so that we might live as a people who give glory to you in all things. So we give this time of close and response over to you as there are steps of faith that need to be taken, decisions that need to be made. I pray that people would respond to the leading of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.